Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name's Luke. And yes, if, if you're just joining us, talking about love handles, uh, gives you a good reminder that we don't take ourselves too seriously around here. Um, so yeah, maybe it makes you uncomfortable or get a little embarrassed to see pictures like that. We don't like to point out things about ourselves, particularly about our body, that we usually try to keep hidden. But uh, even if you're not someone who's hiding love handles, we all hide stuff. We got imperfections and inadequacies, things about us that we wish looked one way or were one way, but no, they're just not. We know. Right? We, got, we got our issues and, and challenges, um, flaws in our physique or, or our character. That, that's kind of who we are. But of course, we're not alone. I mean, we look, we look around. Other people, they got love handles too. These people around us who are very close to us, uh, they have their own issues and challenges. And so we begin to think about how do we make uh, relationships with them work. Imperfect people trying to get along and, and work things out. How do we get a handle on that? How do we get a grip on love and life? That's what we're trying to figure out in this series. So last week we uh, tried to get a grip on motherhood, and we'll be talking in future weeks about uh, friendship and marriage and divorce and some other things. But today we're trying to get a handle on singleness and dating. And so I thought we would kind of set the scene appropriately here. you got a little table for two, which is probably a familiar environment for us, if, whether through personal experience or we've watched a so-called chick flick or whatever. Uh, you know, you sit down and two people are having dinner, eating, drinking, laughing, talking to each other and uh, trying to discover if there's any chemistry there or uh, maybe build on the chemistry that, that already exists. And uh, this, this is what we do. And so how do we get a grip on this? How do we get a handle here for people who are in the dating phase or who say we're just dating? Or for those who would like to be dating, would love nothing more than to sit down at a table for two with somebody, that, but they just, they, it hasn't worked out like they've planned. Now, some people, on the other hand, have planned it that way. They're, they're not dating. They're eligible to do it. They're single, but they're content to be single, whether indefinitely or just they're saying, not, now's not the right time for me to be dating. You know, if that's where you're at in life, how do you get a grip on what God wants for you right there in that place? Singleness and dating. What does God think about that? I will, I will say at the outset here, there are going to be some things we talk about later that are of a, a PG-13 nature. So if there are parents that need to make some adjustments with younger kids, invited to do that. There's some great children's classes going on right now. It'd be a good place for them. Um, also know that we're not all single. We're not all in the dating phase. You know, me, guy with a microphone, I'm married, and a lot of us are. Although that number of people is actually declining. We're right about half and half of the adults in our country are single. Another half are married. So this is important for us to be talking about this. And if you're a person who says, well, I'm in the married half, so this doesn't apply to me. Well, it doesn't matter who you are. All of us are going to spend significant parts of our life being single on the front end of life for sure. And then we don't know about the, the middle part and the back end of life, uh, most of us. And all of us, even if we're not single, we have influence on somebody who is kids or grandkids or nieces, nephews who are trying to navigate the dating world in a way, you know, an environment which was a lot, that is a lot different than what it was when you were that age. Or we have friends who are single again, trying to get reoriented after a divorce or, or even after the death of a spouse. So I guess the first point is that even if it's been a while since we've sat down at a table for two across from someone we're trying to impress or get rid of, um, <laughs> God's Word is relevant to all of us today. Single or married, dating or not, 
And if we're going to get a handle on this, then I'd like to propose that we first got to deal with this side of the table. So much of our thoughts about dating go to who's sitting over there, but I'd like to call into question that idea that the most important thing for a single person and the key to dating is, oh, you've you got to find the one. Instead, think about what we bring to the table. Now let's first be aware of the fact that we bring a lot to the table in terms of baggage and expectations about what it means to be single and about how to date. And a lot of it isn't very helpful. I mean, for all the positive reasons that we go on dates and try to find love, there are a lot of negative influences. And I'll start by saying that, um, unfortunately, a lot of it comes from the church sometimes. I mean, just, just to be frank, sometimes in the church we talk as if being married is what's normal. That's what's expected. It's the desired outcome of life. Something that all healthy and successful people do around about age 25 and certainly before age 30. If you don't meet those expectations, well then, of course, there's only one category left for you. Like not normal. Like not fully human or something. And that's when we start to patronize single people with questions. You know, why aren't you married? What's wrong with you? Why is it taking so long? Are you gay? What's, what's going on? I'm just being honest, right? We, we finished two weeks ago talking about why people are so disillusioned with the church. And those kinds of assumptions contribute to people's disillusionment. Of course, we're not the only ones who hold those assumptions. It's not all the church's fault. Those same kinds of expectations have taken root in, in the broader culture as well. The Jerry Maguire, you complete me sentiment, that pervades a lot of the movie scripts and the books that we read. This idea, we've got to find the right person and that'll make us whole. That'll give life meaning and purpose. And then, of course, the assumption follows then that if you can't land the one, well, then all of the really important stuff of life will elude you. Isn't that what's lurking in the mind of a single guy standing in front of the mirror, tying his tie, getting ready for a date with his buddies, barking in his ear about what to do and what not to do, and asking him questions and taking bets on his chances for success? Isn't it those assumptions that are present when a woman comes out of the bathroom with her eighth outfit on, seeking an evaluation from the gallery about whether she looks too desperate or too boring or too trashy or too conservative, or if she's now finally putting off a vibe appropriate for the occasion? Her friends, too, very eager to offer their advice, inquiring, encouraging, speculating. And after she leaves them to go sit down at a table for two, she's got reel after reel of images rolling in her mind from what she's seen on TV or in movies or read from headlines in the grocery store checkout line about what this is. And by the time she sits down here, there are all kinds of standards set in place for what this should be, which creates this pressure to perform which introduces anxiety. And anxiety begins to snowball as it picks up expectations from parents and teasing from married siblings and fear over past failures and pain from relational shrapnel that's been left behind over the years. And Well, here's the thing. With all of those images and voices playing in our head when we sit down at a table like this, it can lead us to believe that our value as a person depends upon our willingness to do this and our ability to do it right. That's a lot of pressure. So first, I, I can't speak for everyone, but let me at least speak for this church and say there are many desirable things about marriage, and we're going to continue to celebrate it and honor it. But we also need to repent for how we've idolized 
marriage and set it up as a standard for true personhood. If the church has led you to believe that you're a failure if this doesn't work out, if that's the baggage that you're bringing to the table, then then we're sorry. You've got to take ownership for believing the lies that you've been told and for how you've lived, but we're sorry for not helping you see the truth. Instead, what we want you to see, what, what God wants you to see, you need to think in another way about what you bring to the table, just as you are, as a single person, as you. Okay? We've we got to get back to basics here. Parents who are coaching kids who are young in the dating game, you've got to establish this as the foundation. Adults of every kind, single, married, single again, we've all got to be rooted in this if we're going to get a grip on any relationships that we have. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not as old as some of you. And I haven't been a preacher teaching the things of God for as long as some of the people that stand on this stage. But I've been around long enough and been doing this long enough to understand just how hard it is sometimes to accept the thing that is central, the fundamental thing to the Christian faith, to Jesus' teaching, that, that God loves you. That, that is the core truth. God is love and He loves you. No matter who else does or doesn't, no matter what kind of love handles you got, God loves you. That's the thread that weaves its way all throughout the Bible. In fact, the Bible is a library of books where one author after another is going, oh man, God loves us like this? I better write that down. I never understood God's love in that way before. I I better write that down. You got to be kidding me. God proved his love for me again in this way. I I better write that down. God loves you you. That's, that's why He made you in His image. That's why He's patient when you're stubborn. That's why He provides for you when you're in need. That's why He's forgiving when you're rebellious. It's because He loves you. And He doesn't do it because you've done it all right, because you've made all the best dating decisions, because you, you've performed well. No, the Bible says it this way. God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came to prove God's love. Speaking to us with our shortcomings and love handles and misdemeanors, Jesus says, I have called you friends. You and me, we're friends. And I'll tell you, there's no greater love than this, that a person would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what I've done for you. Because I love you. And I get it, if it's hard to trust that, if you've sat down at this table hoping to, to hear that, something like that from somebody, or if, if you, you did, you did the dating thing right and you got the love that you were looking for, only to have it later taken away. But listen to how the Bible goes even one step further in reflecting on God's love for us, that God would choose us and say we're His. I mean, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. See, life is not about who you are. It's about whose you are. You belong to me, God says. And so... Your true identity and value is only found in me. Your relationships with other people and their opinions of you and your comparisons with them, none of that has any influence on who you truly are. You don't have to look for someone else to complete you. 
The pathway to discovering your worth and meaning in life isn't routed through certain accomplishments or relationships with certain people or through marriage, but rather through Christ. And good news, He likes you. He picked you. Love handles and all. Marriage can't complete you. Your spouse can't complete you. Now, they can encourage you and edify you and strengthen you and care for you in profound ways and enrich your life incredibly, no doubt. But your relationship with them is not meant to define you. The relationship with Christ, on the other hand, is, whether you're single or married. And trouble comes for all of us when we allow anything else to define us. When we come to this table or we go looking somewhere else for something or someone that can make us whole. Now, there's probably just as many married people struggling with this as there are single people. So Jesus pleads with us to root ourselves in God's love. That's what Paul is doing. He writes to the church in Ephesians chapter 3 and he prays for them. And his prayer is fitting for all of us today, single or married, young or old. He says, Christ will make his home in, our, in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love. That's what will keep you strong. Lord, I pray that you would have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and how high and deep his love is. Oh, would you experience the love of Christ? Though it's too great to understand fully, I know that. But you just try to do that because then, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Unite yourself with Christ. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Those are words worth meditating on. If you're single, dig your roots down deep into God's love. If you're married, dig your roots down deep into God's love. If you're frustrated in your marriage relationship, or if you're single and you're frustrated with relationships because you're not getting all that you need from them, perhaps you're demanding more from them than they are intended to give. Wholeness and the fullness of life comes from God, not from finding the one. I tell you, it's a beautiful thing when we get this. And I'd like to introduce you to a beautiful single woman. And all the single guys in the room are like, yes, I knew I should have come today. Right? Sorry, I'm not going to bring her out here in person. It would be too much of a temptation for all of you single guys. But I do want to tell you some of her story. Uh, her, her name is Carolyn. And she's been such an encouragement to me in the time that I've known her. been about the last seven years now. Because I watch her life and I see someone who has come to grips with God's love for her. And she's allowed that to overflow in all kinds of meaningful ways. She describes herself as a prodigal child. Grew up in the church with a mom who was a Christ follower and a dad who was not. Went to church every Sunday. Dad yelled and cussed all the way to church, but we sat there looking like the perfect Christian family, she said. She loved Jesus growing up and eventually graduated from Milligan College in 1973. Moved to Maryland and began teaching at Bel Air High School where she says, I truly believed God had called me to be a teacher and to be single and that I would always serve him as a single woman. It's good to have that kind of clarity when you're a newly minted graduate. But from this point, I'll let her story unfold in her own words. She said, although I started attending a local church when I first moved here, I battled so many memories of hard times at home with a father who raged with very little warning. I'd chosen to accept a job far enough away from dad to be safe from his anger. 
This was the time when I began to walk away from my faith and live a life that was not what God would have for me. It was a very rebellious time in my life, and I'm not very proud of it. But I am very glad that the story of the prodigal son is in the Bible. During my prodigal years, I did get married uh, to someone I didn't love, but it was part of the rebellion. It was not in line with what God wanted, and the marriage lasted only seven months. However, the time of my being a prodigal lasted for another 14 years until some life-shattering experiences in mid-1990 caused me to begin to sneak in the back door of Mountain after services began and then out again before they had ended. Of course, as is often the way at Mountain, this didn't last very long as people began to uh, reach out to me. And then the last Sunday in 1990, I joined Mountain Christian Church. Recommitted my life to Christ that day and I've served Him here ever since. One of my commitments was that I would never again date a man who did not share my faith. Not go to my church, but share my faith. I honestly then did not believe I would ever be married and really did not want to be. I believed Paul's words that I could serve God better as a single woman and that was what I intended to do. She's referring here to 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul is teaching about marriage and singleness. However, I'll be honest with you, Luke, I was 41 years old and I truly did not think it would be almost seven years until I dated again. And although I dated a good and godly man who did share my faith, it was, again, not what God had planned for either of us. And I think I knew then that I probably would never marry. Now, that may sound sad or or disappointing, but it was not. God blessed me with over 20 more years of teaching public high school, the last 18 at Edgewood High School. I had the freedom in my singleness to devote a lot of time to the program that I was developing, uh, to my students, to women's ministry and mentoring, and to serving God in many different aspects of ministry through Mountain. I have lived a full and fulfilled life as a single Christian in service to Him. I want to emphasize here, Luke, that I'm not saying that I have never been lonely that I have never wondered what it would have been like to be married to a godly man. What I do know is that even though I have and still do feel lonely sometimes, I know I am never alone. Jesus promised me that He would never leave me or forsake me, that I would find Him when I seek Him with all of my heart. God's also blessed me with wonderful friends, both Christian and non-Christian, some of whom are single, some are married, some have been married. I'm a firm believer in the institution of marriage. I've seen many good marriages over the years. It always saddens me when marriages fail, and it almost reinforces my belief that that not everyone is meant to be married. I've also been blessed to have some male friends who uh, have helped me look at things from a different point of view, which has been good for me. God has truly, she's quoting Scripture now, provided for all of my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus, who is always with me as my friend, my companion, and my Lord. In Proverbs 3, it says, To trust the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Paul said, Singleness is not for everyone. However, it is also not a curse. It's not to be ashamed of. And there's nothing wrong with single people, especially single Christian people who know that we are single because that's God's will for our lives. And if he decides to direct our path in marriage one day, We will know that it is to the right person and that it's the right time for us to do so. Until then, we continue to serve Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and trust Him with our singleness. Amen. I mean, that that is someone that I can point my daughters to and say, you want to do life right? You be like that when you grow up. 
I mean, that's a beautiful life. One that you will probably never see portrayed on the silver screen or on the magazine covers. It, it reminds me of something that Jesus said to his followers one time. He said, look, I'm the source. Okay? It's like, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Therefore, remain in me. Stay connected to my love. And then, then you'll produce all kinds of fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So remain in me. Find fullness in me. You see, when we do that, when God's love makes us complete, well then, we'll have all kinds of love to give. We will bear much fruit. We will bring so much to the table if and when we decide today. If, if we do decide today, we will do it from the overflow instead of from a place of deficiency where we're dependent on this to work or we're reliant on someone over there to give our lives meaning. So I think the first thing that God is saying to us is singleness is okay. In fact, singleness can be beautiful, just like marriage can. The important thing is that we unite ourselves with Christ. We dig our roots down deep into God's love. We make that a priority uh, before uh, finding someone over there who can give our lives meaning or provide the love that we need. Does that make sense? Right. Now, with that said, it doesn't mean that we're never going to look over there. In fact, if we've come to grips with God's love and we have lots of love to give, then it may very well be that one of the places that we'll pour out that love is in a relationship with somebody that we sit down to dinner with. We may date. We may want to get married. We may find someone over there that we like hanging out with, that we want to spend time with. And that's okay too. So how do we get a grip uh, on that? Well, the Bible doesn't, doesn't talk about dating in the way that we think about it. This, this model is relatively recent. Uh, in the biblical times, there, was, there is romantic language in the Bible, but they, marriage partners were chosen more on the basis of economic or social factors, oftentimes. Women doesn't seem to have any choice in the matter. The man, even, in most cases, someone would be chosen as a marriage partner for him. I suspect we're not doing it that way today, <laughs> much to the chagrin of some parents, probably. But rather, we got this kind of thing as the typical process by which we try to find lasting love. And the good news is, the Bible's still relevant for us to help us get a grip. You know, there was a time in the Bible when a group of people were living in a highly sexualized culture. Okay? Sex was everywhere you looked. Sexual energy fueled what happened in the marketplace and in the entertainment world and even in the religious realm. The prevailing thought was, uh, well, sex is like hunger. When, when the stomach gets hungry, you feed it. And in the same way, when I get that feeling, I need sexual healing. That's, that's just the way it is, right? No big deal. And so, to a church in that sexually charged environment, trying to get a grip on love and life and figure out how relationships ought to work, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, which Carolyn referenced, and which you should read sometime in its entirety. Those people needed a godly word about how to relate to one another romantically. They needed some input that, other than what was available to them from one-track-minded friends or from what their feelings told them was right. And we, living in an environment that is very much the same, we need some godly perspective if we're going to get a grip on dating. 
So let me attempt to provide some of that with the time that remains. Perhaps the best principle to apply if you're dating is to date according to the story that you want to tell your kids someday. Date according to the story that you want to tell your kids someday. So I know that some of us are at the stage where if we were going to be honest, we'd have to tell our kids, well, I was vulnerable and I got involved with someone who didn't really respect me, but they told me they loved me and they made me feel good and well, that's how you came along. And if that's you, God, of course, can still redeem that. His grace is so much bigger than any of your mistakes. And, and if that's been your story to this point, God is willing, if you are, to write new pages in that dating story. And for those of us who haven't yet traveled that road, we don't have to. And so how can all of us, wherever we're at now, however our story has unfolded to this point, how can all of us, from this point forward, travel the right path when it comes to dating so that we can arrive at a place that we'd be proud to tell our kids about? Well, first, you travel with someone who knows your worth. You travel with someone who knows your worth. You keep in mind everything that we've already said about God's opinion of you. And don't settle for dating someone who values you any less than God does. You're worth loving. Now maybe the people who are supposed to prove that to you haven't done that. But dig your roots into God's love and look for someone who's willing to do the same thing. Don't grow up and tell your kids that you were a punching bag for someone. Don't let your story be that you gave your body away in order to try to get attention and affection. Look for someone on that side of the table who respects you. Second, watch out for hitchhikers. Now, this is not as not don't date hitchhikers, which is probably decent advice anyway, but uh, what I mean is that in the same way that a hitchhiker is dependent upon someone else to get them where they need to go, we need to watch out for relationship partners who are overly dependent on us to get them where they need to be in life. You can't fix someone. You can't make someone mature. You can't complete someone else. Date people who are taking responsibility for their own growth and development. If they're not healthy and they refuse to get healthy, you need to let them go. If they keep promising that they're going to they're gonna change for you, they're going to get clean for you, but their commitments never stick, well, then they shouldn't stick in a relationship with you. If, if they can't live without you, that's a danger zone. They, they can't keep, you can't keep letting them bum a ride off of you to get to where they need to be in life. They got to get there. Now, sure, support, encourage, forgive, be a friend, speak truth in love, but keep, keep a romantic distance from them so that you don't stir up all of these feelings that prevent you from doing what's wise. Third, you can't let loneliness drive. Don't, don't make decisions solely based on trying to cure loneliness because that's a sure way to make a bad decision. Now, loneliness is real. From being ditched at the prom to ending up single again, wondering if you're ever going to find anyone again. And married people get lonely too. Right? But we've got to let that drive us toward God and godly people. 
Because the temptation will be either to isolate ourselves and descend into self-pity, or to hook up with someone who's not right for us, which only leads to self-loathing. God's taken a long time to bring someone into your life. Yeah, that, that is hard. Any time that, that God is teaching us patience, it's difficult. But recognize what God is giving. And receive it with gratitude. Learn whatever it is that He is teaching you there. And you'll have an incredible story, a story worth telling. Fourth, you can't let sex drive. And this is the thing that is steering a lot of us in dating relationships. You know, the Corinthian church, they were the ones that said to Paul, hey, sex is like eating, right? If you're hungry, you should eat. And so he's trying to speak a godly perspective into their context, which must have sounded so foreign, as is what I'm about to say, probably. I'll start with what Paul says. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He goes on, using the strongest language as he can, he says, run from sexual sin. Run away. Flee sexual immorality. Because there's no other sin that so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. I know when we were in college, um, we had some kind of conscience about uh, appropriate sexual behavior. We were Christ followers. I grew up in the church. But mostly at that stage, what we were trying to figure out is how much can I get away with without sinning? Right? Um, how far can I go with a girl? Uh, if we're talking like in terms of running the bases here, like what, what's okay? How far can we go? You know, and we know going all the way is forbidden, but what, like third base or what, what are we talking here? And what's happening there is that uh, sex, the desire for sex, is steering that whole rationalization process. But that's not how Paul frames the issue. It's not about, oh, just behave and follow these rules. It's, it's look, you're not your own. You, you were bought with a price. Indulging sexually is defrauding the temple that God gave you. Your body was made to honor God, and so is the persons who's sitting over there. Now, sex within marriage is a beautiful gift that honors both people and God when we treat it as God designed. Sex outside of marriage is dishonoring to God. It's a clear teaching of Scripture. Oral sex is sex. And in that regard, I was not a virgin when I got married, just to be honest about my own dating story. Foreplay is part of the sexual act. So if you're going to start rounding bases or dry humping or touching private parts over top of clothes, you can't do that and pretend that you're honoring your body or theirs or God. You can't do all of that and pretend that you're respecting sex in the way that the Bible describes. It says flee sexual immorality. Because sex is sticky. It's powerful. It, it, its impact is it's profound. 
it's not just the physical bumping of bodies, but the emotional, the mental, the spiritual is all wrapped up in it too. And, and because of the way it sticks, you, it, it, it unites you with another person. We're not intended to engage sexually with someone other than the one to whom we've committed ourselves in marriage. To flee sexual immorality means not to live together unless you're married. Don't live as husband and wife if you're not husband and wife. Now I know a lot of us are living together unmarried right now. We figured out a way to rationalize it. Um, it's, it's more convenient, it's cost effective or whatever. And I know obedience to God's way isn't often convenient or cost effective. But it does come with the promise of enjoying things as God intended. The, the fullness of life and power that comes from God. If you're living together right now, either get married or try God. Try God. Do the hard work of moving out until you get married. See if God doesn't teach you an invaluable lesson about what it means to trust Him. See if He doesn't strengthen your relationship with Him and enrich your relationship with your significant other. Now, that person bails? Well, then that's probably ultimately what's best because it will show you that you're not as aligned as you need to be and you shouldn't be together anyway. And then you just got to decide if you really want what's best. Which brings us to the final point. Travel with someone who's going the same direction. Date someone who shares your faith. Date someone who, who lives by the same values. Who, who wants the things that you want. Who wants the things of God. You know, that, that's what drew me to my wife. That's how I knew that I had someone worth marrying. She was a healthy and whole single person who loved God and was committed, committed to letting God direct her steps. So we just decided to travel the journey together. Just like, just like Carolyn decided to trust God with her singleness, and it's led to a full and meaningful life, Holly and I decided to trust God with our marriage. And we can only hope that It'll lead to the same thing. So, go date. Go date if you want to. Sit down at a table for two with someone and see if they're a person who knows their worth and yours. See if there's someone who's found their identity in Christ and who wants to follow them with you. Honor them. And if you both decide that it would honor God for you to be married. Well, then marry him already. I mean, what do you wait for? Go on and do it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and the way that you uh, teach us and lead us, for the way that you love us as well. Thank you for um, claiming us as your own and, and loving us in profound ways, ways that indeed are too great for us to understand. God, let us experience your love and your grace at this time as we think about our relationships, uh, in particular uh, dating and uh, relationships with other people. We know there's, there's some ways that we've made mistakes there, and would you bring healing and correction where we need it? Uh, forgive past wrongs. Help us to chart a new course, one that, that honors you in the midst of uh, a world where it's hard to honor you, quite honestly. God, just be present with us and lead us through all the relationship, relationships that we have. Teach us what it means to be whole and complete and find our identity in you. Transform us 
with uh, your love as single people, as people who are married, as people who are single again. God, just be with us and help us to get a grip by the power of your love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.